you could do that, like it really teased me. So I'm sorry, just forgive me. So I'm you're looking up there, I can't see it on my screen here. And she's like, my notes up here. Excel does a great job of this, Google, not doing so well, not very helpful. So anyways, I didn't know about this for five minutes ago. But bear with me. All right, now let's put this thing on. Good morning, everybody. So oh, as we sang earlier, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. That's our, that's our verse for the day. All right, anybody know where it's found now that you've memorized it? James 4.10, good, turn there with me. All right, James 4.10. And uh, the thoughts that we'll be looking at today uh, are mostly for me. Um, it's something the Lord's been working on me over the summer, and uh, I just simply want to share them with you. So if you benefit from it, praise the Lord. If not, well, they're the Lord's thoughts for me this summer and some of the things that he's been convicting me on. So I need to work on some things. Before we begin, I want to open in a word of prayer. Lord my God, I pray that this day you will be honored and glorified. That all that is said and done from this pulpit will be glorifying to you. I thank you for the things that you've been teaching me, and I pray that they would be beneficial for the saints here also. Lord, please give me clarity of speech. May everything simply go to your praise. And we give you thanks for his time in your son's name. Amen. So James chapter 4. Verse 10, we'll just read it officially. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Now, we'll be coming back to James chapter 4 a lot towards the end. All right. So, our goal for today all right, is for you and me to be able to actively put this verse in our life and how to live it out. All right. A lot of times from the pulpit or just in life, we learn how to be humble and meek people amongst ourselves, how to get along with each other. Now, I've sang this song my whole life, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And I'm like, and it finally just started striking me. What does that actually mean? How do you humble yourself before the Lord? And in return, what will he do for you? Okay, That's kind of my goal for today, is for us to figure out how to actively put this verse into our life so we can reap the benefits from it. Okay. Um, the way we're going to do that is we're going to, here's a quick outline for today, all right? We're going to do a quick walk through the Old Testament. What does humility look like when God first instilled it in the world and when he started asking for these things? How does it look like in some of the people's lives that we can look at in the Old Testament, some of the stories and accounts that we can look at of people who were really humble and those who were not humble and and some of the effects that played out from it? Then we'll look at one of my favorite things I just noticed, a piece of nature about God, learn something about God himself, and his dwelling place, something I did not know before. We're going to learn something about where he lives and who lives with him. All right? And then finally, we're going to go to the New Testament, where we learn the applicable stuff for us today. Okay? How does humility towards the Lord, me and the Lord, I don't, I'm not talking about me to Johnny, I'm not talking about me to anyone else. I don't care about your relationship with anyone else today. I'm talking about your relationship with the Lord. That's all that matters today, is your relationship with the Lord, and how are you humbling yourself before him. If you're doing it at all. If you're doing it at all. I pray that after today, you might take a, a fresh look at your life, like I've been caused to, and go, you know what, maybe I'm not doing a good job at that. All right? I, really, I, I strive to be humble amongst others in the room, but I don't really strive to humble myself before the Lord. And that needs to come first. So, let's go through a walk through the Old Testament. Okay? If you turn with me, I'm not going to read it today. I just simply don't have time. But if you go to 1 Samuel, go to Turner anyways, just so you, 
just so you know where it's at. All right, First Samuel. I'll turn there. In the book of First Samuel, the very beginning, book of Samuel is about Samuel's life. And Samuel's mother, Hannah, was a woman who was barren for years, could not have children. And it made her deeply sad. And she prayed to the Lord year after year after year that she would have a child. The Lord heard her prayer. And she gave birth to a son. And she dedicated that son to the Lord. His name was Samuel. became one of the greatest prophets of the Lord. And as soon as she gave birth and dedicated him to the Lord, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, all right, I'm not going to read her whole prayer, but she prays to the Lord, and she gives thanks to the Lord for Samuel and the gift that he did. And she goes on to talk a lot about the Lord and his relationship with people and his view of people. And in this, there's a... Um, a lot that he talks about, just read a few things, that there's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one like you, God. You are unique from all people and all, all things. But you are a person who can distinguish between the proud. You can distinguish between the arrogant. You distinguish between people who are mighty. And in fact, you oppose the proud. You oppose the strong, you will make them weak in your sight. But the weak, those who are poor, those who are humble, you will exalt. You will lift them up. Those who are needy, you will assist. And that's the theme of one of the themes that you can find in your prayer. And in fact, if you look through Scripture, it's a theme that you can find in almost every story in Scripture if you look hard enough for it. If you simply turn to page to 1 Samuel chapter 4, okay, I'm going to simply recount to you the story because I don't have time to read the story. But here's a story of the Philistines versus the Israelites. And, and what, what is God's plan for the Israelites? Now that they're in their land, what is the plan for the Israelites? Wipe out all your enemies. God's will for the Israelites is to wipe out the, all the inhabitants of the nations. So it is God's will that the Israelites wipe out the Philistines. So they're going to war. They start fighting. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the end. Israel's got whooped up on. The Jews got beat. They got beat bad. And they dragged their tails back to their home going, what happened, what happened, what happened? Oh, we know. We know. We're going to get them this time. Get the Ark of the Covenant. Take it to the front of the line. Hold that thing up high. And, and, and the funny part was, is you think that'd be a great thing. Take God with you into the fight. They never actually took God with them into the fight. They never consulted God... I keep forgetting, I don't see this, right? Um, they never consulted God about the fight. It's, you know, whenever David went into battle, if he consulted, hey God, should we do this? Are you with us? Do we need you? We, well, this is your battle, not ours. What did God do? Always came through. Always came through. But the Israelites, in this case, they don't ever consult God. They don't ever ask for his help. They take the ark as a trophy, as a good luck charm. They say, look what we got. We got one of these. You ain't got one of these. And because of their arrogance, because of their pride, the Philistines whooped up on them harder than ever before. Israel got defeated in one of the worst battles they ever faced. 32,000 men died that day because of their arrogance and their pride. The Philistines even stole the ark from them, and they lost it for a long time. Their Proud and arrogance before the Lord cost them a lot that day. Cost them a lot that day. So God is not a trophy. 
he is not a good luck charm. Okay? And we'll notice if you keep reading through the story that the Philistines take the ark, they put it in front of their God. And look what we got, our God. Look at Dagon, look what we got. And their pride and their arrogance starts to get to them. And what happens? God strikes them. God inflicts boils and sores upon all the peoples in the nation. He actually even makes the false god Dagon fall on his face. His head breaks off and his arms break off, right? You guys know the story well. God does not care about what people, race, nationality you come from. Humility is something that he desires from all peoples. All peoples. Okay. Now, the, this thought of humility and being proud and arrogant, puffed up, before the Lord, is a theme that you can see through all Scripture. We see it in Saul's life, right? He started out kind of humble before the Lord. And he did kind of okay. But then very rapidly, his pride, well, that ended him. Even David started out very well. David started, most of his life was very great. But again, issues of pride and arrogance came up and, and, and disobedience to the Lord caused him to have some struggles too. All through Scripture, we see stories of people who when they humble themselves, God blesses. When they work on their own, in their own human pride, and in self-sufficiency, I can do this, I don't need you, God, it goes poorly for them. All right. So those are some things I want to look at today. How do we prevent that from happening in my own life? Okay. So, here's my question for you. Who, whoop, give it away, because I can't see ahead of my screen. I'm just kidding. Who is one of Israel's, I, I think he's actually Israel's greatest leader of all time. Who is Israel's greatest leader of all time? Who is the one person who conducted, I, never, I didn't count, but I'm just assuming, the most miracles ever outside of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? Who was the one who spent the most time collectively ever talking to God? Like actually having a real life conversation with God, not just praying to God, Whoever in the Old Testament had the most conversations face-to-face with God? Moses. Moses. Undoubtedly, by far Moses. And that's why I kind of give him the the title of greatest leader ever. Because nobody ever did the things that he did. Now, certainly David was a great leader. Certainly there were many other great leaders too. I'm not knocking them. But I think Moses definitely has the right to be up there in the top two or three. All right. Now, what do we read about Moses? All right. Moses was a leader for 40 years. And turn with me to Numbers chapter 12, please. This we're going to read. This, this here, when I saw this, is like one of those aha moments going, whoa, look at that. I've read this many times, but I just never saw it. Maybe you did. Mo, oh, sorry, number Moses chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, please. <laughs> we're reading about Moses in, in uh, chapter, Numbers chapter 12. All right, we're going to read the first eight verses. And I want to see if you can... See where I'm going with this, okay? Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, he asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? See, what's happening here is, if the people are starting to, they're in the wilderness again, hungry, want water, want food, not happy they're there right now, and they say, hey, Moses ain't doing everything that's perfect. Moses brought us into this mess. Let's get rid of Moses. Let's revolt. Let's bring up a new leader. Hey, Miriam. Hey, Aaron, in return. Let's take Moses' place. 
We don't need him anymore. God is not only talking to Moses. He's talking through me. I can do his job. Let's get rid of him. And that's what the people are talking about right now. Let's get rid of Moses and let's replace him with Aaron and Miriam. And that's what Aaron and Miriam are talking about. They're scheming with each other here. Okay. And guess what? The Lord heard it. The Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Hey, you two. No, not Moses. You two over there, the schemers. Yeah, come over here for a minute. All right? Oh, boy. When both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And with him, I speak face to face. Clearly, not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? God makes this personal. That's my guy. How can you possibly not be afraid of talking against my guy? Don't you know that? I can just wipe you out. Whenever you look at prophets in the Old Testament, most of the time, how does God talk to the prophets? Most of the time, it's not an audible voice. That does happen. We do see that. But the majority of the time, when God reveals himself to a prophet or, or wants to share a message, he does it through a vision. He does it through dreams. That's what he did through Daniel many times, right? But with Moses, that's not true. Moses is a unique case. God didn't talk to Moses in visions and dreams. He came down and stood with him face to face. Moses saw the form of the Lord. How many of you have seen the form of the Lord? You haven't. I haven't either. And he talked face to face. How many people on the planet could ever claim they've done that? Less than a handful. Less than a handful. Moses did that routinely with the Lord. Why? Why did Moses have that privilege? What made him special? What made him unique? Why did God talk to him? It doesn't talk to any other human being like that, really. Why? Back up to verse 3. And I'm not saying this is the answer. But I do know this, that if Moses was unique in that way, it also says in the scriptures there's something also very unique about Moses. What's true about Moses? Verse 3, now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. There's never been, ever will be anyone more humble than Moses. I'm just making a connection here. That maybe the reason why God would talk to Moses face to face is because Moses was humble. Maybe. I'm just trying to make a connection here that that's possibly why God talked to Moses face to face. I can't claim that. I know most of you can't claim that. No one else in history could claim that, but Moses could. 
He was a humble man. Now let's go look at God's dwelling place. Why is this such a big deal for God? Why is humility a big deal in God's eyes? Well, if you're a person who underlines in your Bible, I'm a little bit of an underliner. Whenever I come across a verse that's like, poof, whoa. This is one I just underlined a couple weeks ago, right? Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says. God's speaking here. This, was, this is what the supreme being of the universe says. You ready to listen to what the supreme being says? The one who made the earth just speaks and universes are made. This is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. I live in a high and holy place. My place is far beyond your reach. It is far different, far unique from anything you've ever experienced or can think or can possibly imagine. It's so special. That's where I dwell. I love this but part. You ready? But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. The people who dwell with me in heaven, the people who are my guests in my dwelling place, are people who have a contrite and lowly spirit and heart. Interesting. I didn't know that. I'm just thinking maybe that's one of the reasons why God had no problem talking with Moses face to face. The people who dwell with God, the people who God allows to dwell with him in heaven, are the people who are contrite in heart, contrite in spirit. Isaiah 66.2 says again, uh, These are the ones I look on with favor. The people on earth that I look down, and they're in favor of my eyes. You want to be in God's favor? Interesting. Those are the people who are humble and contrite in spirit. Maybe the reason reasons why God was so pleased with Moses is because Moses was a humble person. And that's why he got to have the special privilege of doing face-to-face with God. Just maybe that might be the reason. Do we tremble at his word? When you read this, is there a level of respect that you are actually fearfully and reverent about what's says in here? Is that you? When you are just a, it's just a book. I know it's God's words. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Is there a level of reverence and fear, healthy respect for who wrote this and what it says? Or is it just something that we read? I, I know that when I read through it, I want to, you know, have a conversation with the Lord and, and learn from it. I, I don't always have a deep reverential respect for who wrote this and why he wrote it and what it says. Now, I, I hate reading big paragraphs off the screen, but I, I couldn't sum this up any other way. So, how many of you know what a contrite heart is? I, we sing songs that have contrite heart and all the time. I'm like, okay, it probably means somebody who's humble. What does the world that mean? So I had to go look it up. And, and here's the definition I got, and I really liked it, so I just wrote the whole thing out. A contrite heart is one in which the natural pride and self-sufficiency have been completely humbled by the conscience of guilt. That all the pride that exists inside of me, big, strong man, not really fucking big man. I can do things on my own. I can do this life without help. I don't need anybody. My self-sufficiency and pride are completely humbled when I take an honest look at myself 
and my conscience finds me guilty. The Hebrew and Greek words often translate contrite to actually mean crushed, crippled, or broken. If you say you have a contrite heart, is your heart crippled? Is it crushed? Is it broken before the Lord? That's what a contrite person's heart looks like. Is that you? That's not me usually. I don't think of myself that way. Because I'm a proud, boastful. I'm a great guy. I'm a good Christian. All right? When contrite is linked to the heart, there are roughly 73 times in Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when we find the theme of humbling yourself before the Lord, okay? When those two things are linked together, we get a picture of a conscience that is crushed by the weight of its own guilt. Is your heart crushed when you look at yourself in the presence of God and see how nasty you are? Is that true? When a human spirit stops justifying its choices and awakens to the depth of its depravity and humbly accepts God's righteous condemnation on sin, contrition is present. A contrite heart offers no excuses and shifts no blame. How often do you blame someone else for your decisions? You know what? That person offended me, so I have the right to make fun of them. I have the right to put them down. I have the right to be mean in return. Because they started it. How often is that true? How often do you blame someone else for your poor choices and decisions? I do it all the time. I do it all the time. That's not a contrite heart. Does your heart fully agree with God about how evil it is? Have you ever fully agreed with God to go, I'm messed up, God. I am messed up in your sight. You are perfect. You are holy. You are unique and set apart. I'm not even close to that. Not even close. My sin has so far separated us. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever come to that place where you are broken inside, looking at your sin compared to who God is? Have you ever fully agreed with it and acknowledged with God that, yes, God, you are right. I deserve to go to hell. Have you ever said that about yourself? No, not I. I'm better than most people. I'm good enough. Actually, in fact, I think I'm a really good person. I, I run VBS, go to church every Sunday, even, even go to help it on the one. I'm a pretty good Christian, God. You should be pretty proud of me, actually. You should be pretty proud of me, God. Yeah, that's not a humble, contrite heart at all. A contrite heart throws itself upon the mercy of God, knowing that it deserves nothing but righteous wrath. Is that your heart? Is that you? I know it's not me most of the time. So let's just wrap this up real quick. In the Old Testament, okay, you could spend some time uh, reading time is short, so we're not actually going to read them, okay? But you could read where God, you know what, we're going to read one. Let's just read uh, Leviticus 26. I just want to get, actually, I have it right here. Saves time. Second uh, Chronicles 7, verse 14. And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, if they seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Leviticus 26. But if my people will confess their sin and their sins of their ancestors, if their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me 
which have made me hostile towards them, so that I will send them into the land of their enemies. And when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they pay for this sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. See, throughout the Old Testament, God's working with the Israel nation is this. Listen, if you are humble before me, I will remember my covenant with you. All the blessings that I promised you, I will remember the land. What does it mean I remember the land? I'll prosper you in physical form. I will give you food. I'll give you water. I'll give you great wealth. I'll keep you safe from your enemies. Health, wealth, and prosperity. That's something God promised to the Israelite nation. You follow me. You humble yourselves before me. You worship me only. And I'll take care of you. Spiritually, I'll save you from hell. And I will also look after all your physical needs. And you will be the greatest, wealthiest nation ever. Ever. Guys, that's, that's not a promise for us. Okay? That's for the Jewish nation. God gave that promise to his people. Okay? The fact that humility before God equals physical and spiritual blessing. That's for the Israelite nation. Do not believe for a second that the gospel is health, wealth, and prosperity for us today as Christians. No. It is different in the New Testament. That is a promise for his people of the Israelite nation. Do not take that upon yourself. But that's how God worked with the Israelites. And he still works with the Israelite nation in that manner. God has different plans, unique plans, for us Gentiles who are saved today. And that's where I want to go next. Okay? But I just want to trace through that God has had a pattern. There is a pattern through Scripture that if you are humble before me, there are blessings to follow. And yes, guys, there are blessings to follow for us today, but they are a little bit different than the Israelite nation. Okay? So do not read in the Old Testament that if you humble yourselves and pray before me, I will remember your land and make you and remember all the blessings and make you guys rich. That's not true for us. That's true for the Israelite nation, okay? Let's go to the New Testament now. All right. So what does it mean in today's terms, in today's age of the church, what does it mean for us, for me as a Christian today, what does it mean for me to humble myself before the Lord? What does that practically look like? How do I actually humble myself? Just get way down on the ground. Is that what it physically means? What what are some things I can physically do in my life to humble myself before God? All right, and this is where we're going to go to James chapter 4. I'm going to spend the rest of the time probably in James chapter 4. Okay? While you're turning there, I just want to emphasize that there, there, this theme does follow through the New Testament. All right, Luke 14, 11 says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. This is Jesus speaking here. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But everyone who humbles himself before me will be exalted. 1 Peter 5 also says this, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, so that in due time He will exalt you. So there is still a theme in the New Testament about humbling ourselves before God. Alright? So what does it actually mean? Alright? You get spots here. Good. In the New Testament, okay, I, w- I would like to, this is, this is Brian here talking, okay? I would like to think that there's two ways that you can humble yourself before God. Two different phases of this. 
And they have to kind of go in a particular order. Okay? You cannot physically humble yourself before God until you spiritually humble yourself before God. I'm going to break down what those mean. What does it mean to spiritually humble yourself before God? And then we're going to look at how do I physically do that with my body right now? How do I humble myself before God? Okay? So, the first one, physical. As mentioned above, okay, as we just read earlier, do you have a contrite heart? Have you actually ever had a discussion with God that says this, God, I'm a nasty, defiled person. I can do nothing on my own. I deserve to go to hell. That's not a physical conversation with God. That's a spiritual one. Me, about my soul, my spirit, is wretched, God. I agree with you fully that I deserve to go to hell. I'm a lost sinner, and I throw my life into your hands, into your mercy to save me. Have you ever taken your place as a human being made from the dust? Have you ever taken your place in the dust realizing that you are nothing in his sight? No, I don't mean worthless. Because God made us and he loves us very deeply. And he has a purpose for us. But I mean with the, the largest and hugeness and vastness of God and almighty he is, what am I? I'm a worm. But he is one that he loves and he made me for a purpose. He built me for a reason. I'm just throwing some VBS out there a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Have you ever been willing to take your place? Have you ever said this, Psalms 51, Against thee have I sinned, O Lord, and I have done evil in your sight. Have you ever been the prodigal son who ran and turned his back on his father, but when he had reached the bottom, and realized that his self-sufficiency was nothing left. There's nothing he could do to save himself. What did he do? He crawled back to his father and said, Father, forgive me. Have you ever done that with the Lord? If you claim to be a Christian today, then there should have been somewhere, there had to have been a somewhere point in your life where you had that conversation with God. Because if you haven't, I'll tell you right, right now, you're not a Christian. A Christian is someone who has recognized that they need God to save them from the depravity of their sin and the condemnation of hell. If you have not had that conversation, quietly alone with God, you're not saved, you're going to hell. So that's the first step in humbling yourself before God. Spiritually. Recognizing that you are nothing. You can do nothing. And that you are messed up. Have you done that? Pray that you have. If you haven't, do it today. Take an honest look at your heart and realize that I'm no good. I need you, God. I can't save myself. I deserve to go to hell. Through your mercy and your grace, through the work of your son at the cross, forgive me, please. And you know what he does? Boom, you're forgiven. Instantaneously. Locked in forever. When the Lord does something, who can undo what we read this morning? Who can undo what the Lord has done? Nothing. When he invites you into his family and makes you one of his own and adopts you as his son, that's it. You're in forever. You're locked in. Great. That part's done. Now what can I physically do in my life to continue to humble myself before him? And it's always good, even as Christians today, don't just think that, oh, I contrited my heart once, I'm good to go. All right? No. As a Christian, it is always good to remember... And to always self-reflect on who we truly are. And to have a contrite heart all the time before the Lord. 
Now, it is also good to know that, listen, once you are saved, saved forever, he is, you are now declared perfect and righteous in his sight. You are perfect and holy. But I, I, I do know who I truly am. And, and don't forget that. Because it always makes you appreciative of what God has done for you when you look back and remember who you truly are. That's a humble and contrite heart. So, now James chapter 4. With our remaining time here, we're going to break down James chapter 4. Now I'm going to go back to verse 1 in James chapter 4 and read through the whole thing so we can get some context and get some applicational stuff on what it means to actually contrite and humble your heart before God. Okay? Again, I'm not talking today about my relationship or your relationship with anyone else, no other human being. This is strictly about your relationship with God. Okay? We've done plenty of messages about humbling yourselves with other humans. What does it mean? But this is just about you and God today. So, James chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read through a bit. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but do not get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Give me a second. I gotta get a drink. We're gonna keep reading. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. Verse 6. He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, these two verses here are talking about, again, obviously, our humility towards God. And why it says that is because of the previous verses before it. So we're going to go look at the previous verses before it, and it kind of gives us a glimpse of what I can do in my practical life to make sure that now that I have a contrite heart, now that I have a broken heart towards God, what can I physically do in my daily walk to have a contrite life before God, that I actually live out a life that is humble before Him. Okay, So we're going to pick this up in verse 4. You adulterous people. Who's, uh, who's James talking to here? He's talking to Christians. You adulterous people. This is valid for us today. Oh, not me, Brian. I'm not an adulterer. I've never cheated my wife or my husband. Talk about I'm not an adulterer. You guys do know, right, that the term adultery, adulterer here, 
is outside of the, it branches outside of the realm of just marriage. Okay, so Mia, Bella, David, Maddie, anybody in this room, you can be an adulterer before God, and it does not have to be in a sensual man-woman relationship. Okay, I don't explain what that means. When God looked at the Israelite nation, and he called them an adulterer people, is that because every single married couple was running around sleeping with everyone else? No, that's not what it meant. Now, that may have been happening, but that's not what he was referring to. What was he actually referring to? Well, in a married couple, if I commit adultery with my wife, what essentially has happened? I have said to myself, my wife is not good enough for me anymore. She doesn't fulfill what I need. I need to go get it from someone else. Now, in God's point of view, when he's talking to the Israelite nation and to us today, what it means is this. I have a relationship with God. All right, cool. I'm married to God. You know what, God? You're not good enough for me anymore. You don't fulfill my needs the way I need them fulfilled. I'm going to go somewhere else to get those needs fulfilled. You're not second to me. I don't need you anymore. Or I don't need you the same as I did. So, let's think about that for a second. What does it mean to be an adulterer in this context right here? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Can you be a Christian and be a friend of the world? Is that possible? Should not be, but is it possible? Yes, it is. Should not be, but is possible. You see, let me, let me give you an example. We'll just go my own life. Um, an adulterer in this world is, I don't need you, God. I can do something else. Or I'm going to replace you with something better, God. All right? Um, I, devotion time comes for me. i, I got to spend some time with the Lord. You know what, God? It's a really busy day. Actually, most days my house are crazy busy. So when the kids are asleep, Lord, when the kids are asleep, 8.30 at night, and it's quiet in the home, I'll spend some time reading, and I'll, I'll hang out with you, God. 8.30, 9 o'clock comes. I'm exhausted. I'm like, all right, time to do my devotions. Looking there. Yeah, you know what? I'm just, just too tired. I can't even focus right now. Throw some Netflix on. I don't have to engage my brain for that. You know, I'm just watching YouTube. And you know how many times that comes up? It's way too often in my life. What have I just done? God, you're not good enough to fulfill what I need. I can get it somewhere else. I don't need to spend time with you, God. Netflix will entertain me better than you. What I can get from TV, what I can get from video games. You know what, God? Um, I'm just going to go play some video games right now. I don't need to spend time with you. It, it could be a thousand different things. Have you replaced God in your life with something else? If you add up all the time you spent, or add up all the time you spent doing this, or all the time you spent, it could be even good things, working on your house. It could be fine things. But if you spend more time on that than you ever do meditating and thinking about God, then maybe by chance you happen to be one of the people here where you've committed adultery with God. You've taken something else in your life and replaced it instead of God. What is that thing in your life? I know you probably have it. If you're like me at all, you probably have something. Dreaming about the next toy that you can get. I'm not, I don't mean like little kids' toys, but no, what's the next thing you want to get? And you dream about that, you dream about that, you dream about that, you dream about that all day long. You know what? You replace God in your life. 
Because you're dreaming about more about the Torah than you're dreaming about God. You're an adulterer before God. You've replaced him. You're not, you're not a good enough guy anymore. I need something else. Is that you? I know it's me. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? If God's spirit lives in me, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? Yes, I am. So we're talking to Christians here. Christians, you have the spirit of God who lives in you. You know what? That spirit is jealous. He envies in a righteous way. God is jealous of your life. He wants all of you. God wants all of you. Do you want all of God in return? Do you have a humble heart before God because you want to get things in return? You want to be blessed in return? Or do you have a humble heart before God because you just want to get Jesus? Is he sufficient? I want to spend time with Jesus, and that's why I can get something back out of it, but just so I can get Jesus in return. Is that you? The spirit who lives inside of us is a jealous God. He wants all of us. He does not want anything to replace us, replace him. And he has the right to do that. He has the right to do that. He is an envious spirit who lives inside of us and wants to live and have all of us. But he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's the second thing you can do in your life. Guys, literally get rid of your pride. Stop thinking you're all that. Stop thinking you can do this life on your own. You can't. Stop taking credit where credit is due. Alright? After I do a great work for the Lord, I look back and go, man, that was a good week. Yeah, that was an awesome program. Not at all VBS. Alright? Man, that was the best year yet. That was, uh-oh. Awesome. That was awesome. You know what? I put that week together. I put all those themes and activities and Bible lessons together. You know what I just did? My pride took away glory from God. That's not a, that's not a humble heart at all. A way that you can live a humble life is, listen, when you do a work for the Lord, give the glory to God. It's not you. If you're not doing a work for the Lord right now, well, maybe you should be. All right? Somewhere in your life, there should be constant glory going to God for what he's done and is doing through you toward, for his kingdom. If, if you don't have a ministry right now, in any way, shape, or form, that's working towards the kingdom of God, edifying the saints in some way, shape, or form, you better get one. You need to get one because that's why you're here. That's why you're still on this planet. It's for you to do a work for God. And in that work, make sure you're giving all the credit and glory to God. That it's not building and boasting yourself up. That's a dangerous thing. That's not a humble heart towards God. Alright. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Alright, we've already talked about submitting your spirit to God. What does it mean physically? You know what? God has expectations for Christians. I'll put you a simple one out there. Ready? Don't sin. 
Don't do the things that are leaving on God's sight. This is not rocket surgery here, guys, okay? Don't sin. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't make fun of others. You want to live a humble life for a God, actually speaking physically? Then obey His commands for us today. Love each other. Do the things that He has asked us to do. Submit your will, submit your desires to Him, and do what He's calling you to do. And you'll have a humble life before God. I really want to say this thing right now, God. I want to just get them so bad. I'll keep it in my mouth. I'll keep it inside because I know, God, that's what you want me to do. That's, that's being humble towards God. I know, God, I know this is wrong. It's going to feel so good when it comes out, though. But you know what, God? You want me to keep it inside, and I'll keep it inside. And then the last one. Come near to God, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Continually repent before the Lord. If you're anything like me, you screw up daily, routinely. You, you, you sin. You think wrong things, you do wrong things, you say wrong things. You don't do what you should do, and you do do what you shouldn't do on a daily basis. Repent before the Lord. He is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. Do that on a routine basis. And you will be living a humble life. So I hope that some of the uh, these are some of the things that the Lord's been challenging me on this summer. I pray that they'd be challenging to you too. That the Lord desires for us to spend eternity with Him in heaven. He wants all humans to spend eternity with Him. And and as I read the verse in Isaiah, I am the high and lofty one, and I live in a holy place, but also with those who have a contrite heart. Do you have a contrite heart before the Lord? Do you want a relationship like Moses? Bar none. Best relationship anyone has ever had with the Lord is probably Moses. Because he talks face to face with God. God, I want to have an amazing relationship with you. I want to have a relationship like no one else has ever had. I want to know you better than anyone else has ever had. I want to be able to communicate with you better than anyone else has ever had. I want you, God. And you know what? If it means for me to be humble, I'll do it. I'll submit myself to you fully. Everything you're calling me to do, I want to do it. I'm going to check my heart routinely. I'm going to not replace you with anything. I'm going to put some diligence into my life to make sure that other things that are easy for me to do, like this on my phone, or watching a show, or playing a video game, or whatever it may be, whatever is easy for me to do, I'm going to make sure that I spend more time with you than I am with that. You know what? You have to put some effort into that. That doesn't come naturally. Because what comes naturally is just in front of a TV screen. For me, at least it is, okay? Or whatever it may be. It could be working on my car. Whatever it is, it could be a thousand things. Don't let God take second place in your life. Third, fourth, fifth place. Make him the number one priority. and Submit yourself to him fully. Be humble. Close in prayer. Lord our God, I give you so much thanks that when you look down upon us and you see us as a sinful people, you simply do not crush us. If I were you, I would have simply just wiped out the earth and everybody and its inhabitants off 
forever. It's cursed. Send them all to hell. Don't need them. They've disobeyed me. But Lord, it's not you. You love us. I don't know why. But I thank you so much that you do. Love us so much that you give up your son to pay the price of my sin. I give you thanks this morning for that. I pray that in return, Lord, you would help me to recognize how great you are and how ungrate I am. Help us to have a humble spirit before you, to have a contrite heart. Help us, Lord, to actively humble ourselves before you, to submit ourselves in our daily walk, to not replace you with anything around us, but to strive also not to sin too, to try and live a holy life. Lord, we need you. This is not something that comes easy for us. This is not something that is natural for us. It is completely contrary to our nature because we are pride and boastful and arrogant people. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, make this come true in our life. Help us to be determined to make this true in our life. We actually have to work at this. I pray, Lord, that you would bless everyone here this day. May we all desire to glorify your name more and more each day. In your son's name we give thanks. Amen. I forgot the whole last slide. But, whoops. I forgot, I forgot the good part, guys. If you do this, there are blessings for us today, too. All right? It's not physical blessings, like the Israelite nation. But it's blessings like this. If you've got a broken heart, he'll give you joy. He who got a broken spirit, you are downcast, you are sad, he will lift you up. He can take your emotional state and fix it. Give you a hope that endures forever. That cannot be crushed. God can give you an emotional blessing. Which is even better than tangible monetary stuff. When he says, I will lift you up. Sorry, I forgot the whole second half of the verse. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The, the best part, the blessing part at the end. If you do this, guys, there are blessings that come to you. All right. We, we know most of those. Have a blessed day. Thank you. <laughs>